Welcome to Men Are Nuts, a podcast about mental health, emotional health, psychological health, physical health, awareness in men and society. First, it started with MAN, M-A-N, the acronym for Men Are Nuts. And we have a very special guest on the show for you today. Can you introduce yourself? Hello, so my name is Michaela Johnson and I'm the founder of HSO. HSO, where are you, Michaela? Where are you in the world? So we we are based in the UK. Um, our offices are in London um, and we look after uh, schools across um, various different counties. Um, specifically at the moment, we're working with the National Lottery um, to support students uh, transitioning back into school. So we're, we're really kind of focusing on the mental health um, implications from COVID-19 and supporting those students that, and parents and families um, have all been affected with COVID-19 and kind of supporting that transition from lockdown back into schools. So yeah, it's um, it's it's an amazing company to work for, and it's uh, it's it's very humbling to be able to support so many people on so many different levels. So yeah, it's um, yeah, I'm very very lucky. So what's life like for you around the area that you live in, and you know, just talk if you can tell the listeners about London and the area, and what's it like the area that you live in. Um, so, uh, so mental health is, I think, it's a big thing for anywhere, anywhere in the world. Um, in every corner, I think we'll find some some form of mental health. I think an awful lot of um, people will either suppress mental health or not realise they don't have mental that they have mental health. Um, others might realise they have mental health and um, want to medicate, opposed to dealing with um, with the the actual issue. So it's it's very big here, as it like I said, as it is everywhere. Um, specifically, over in obviously in London, we've we've got um, an awful lot of diversity here as well. So we we come across. Um, we come across all sorts of people. We come across people who um, are related in, you know, they're, they're involved in gangs and gang, gang culture. Um, we also work with people who have come from very, um, very well-off backgrounds um, as well. But the, it's much the same. Mental health is just that. It's mental health. It affects. It's the health of you, the health of the brain. So it, it's not discriminative. It doesn't. It doesn't discriminate between someone who's from a very low income to someone who's very high income it doesn't matter if you're black or white it doesn't matter if you're male or female it affects all of us um and the whole purpose of our company um hso is to make sure that we're providing that support to everyone everyone and anyone that needs support and that's why we're partnering with so many different people at the moment to provide a free service um to the people most vulnerable and people that need it um, quite often the children around that, that we work with or even the families and parents of those children um, struggle to have so they might go in for a referral to uh, they might go to the doctors or self-refer to any of the counselling services around here and unfortunately around London there's it's estimated around 18 month waiting list mm. so if you're in crisis uh, I know, so if you're in crisis and you have either attempted suicide or you're you know, about uh, to take your own life, you still won't be seen as quickly as you should be seen. 
Um, so it's it's becoming a massive problem, and unfortunately, as much as mental health is becoming more and more spoken about, um, which is an amazing thing, I also feel that, and personally, I feel as well as professionally, um, that services aren't still where they should be and it's not because they can't be it's not because they they're not they're not they don't want to it's just down to staffing and funding and a million other things and the fact that mental health is growing and growing and growing with it where services aren't able to keep up with that demand so we are trying our very very hardest to make sure that we're we are um up to that demand um and so far we are which is good i don't see any reason why we we shouldn't um, but i completely understand why other services um such as and such other services that are government funded for instance um are kind of um it's the right word they're kind of tearing at the seams with, with the amount of referrals that are coming their way with people who are in crisis um, which is such a shame, and it, and it makes you wonder, or makes you, oh, I don't really want to think about it because it's too much, but it makes you think, you know, how, how many people are we missing, or how many people have they missed, or how many people have they have slipped through the net, um, how many people have we lost? So, uh, my team and I, we work, <laughs> I think, several, seven days, kind of 14 hours uh, a day, um, currently trying to um, support as many people as we can. Um, Specifically, obviously, everything's kind of ramped up with COVID-19. Um, understandably, people are locked up in their homes. People aren't able to see loved ones. Um, some people, because of their mental health issues, aren't able to um, meet with people virtually. So you use platforms like Zoom or Microsoft Teams because then they don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, so they're then losing crucial social interactions. And within that, they kind of, with mental health, you kind of get drawn into this a horrible black hole um so yeah so we've so we've been working very 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 hard um, to do that and like i said we've we've um, been working very hard with the national lottery which is very very humbling um to be able to do and then on top of that we're also providing um the people that don't feel comfortable meeting virtually we're, we're making sure that they feel supported by sending them resources um as well as providing a platform that they can receive those those platforms as well so uh, those resources like thought logs um anxiety workbooks um understanding of feelings and kind of everything kind of around that and around mental health and then on top of that um my staff and i are also making sure that we're doing um vlogs as well so videos so we all use well most of us use 90 percent of us use um social media so yeah. we're trying to spread strategies so anxiety strategies and depression anxieties and trying to um trying to teach people online opposed to them actually having to do anything and sign up and they can kind of do it in their own time and in their own way as well no one has to know that they're they're having a look at the video no one has to know that um what they're listening to and they can practice them really discreetly as well so for instance we have one resource that we tell people that if they're struggling with mental health and they, but they don't want to tell anyone about mental health then we have something called square breathing i'm sure you've heard of it before um but it's just where you trace your finger in a it, it could be any any shape with four sides so it could be a window or a door or a table and you can do it 
very, very silently and just trace either with your finger or with your eyes and breathe in on the long edges and out on the short um, on the short edges. So that is a is a breathing technique and a grounding technique that makes you kind of calm down at moments of feeling really anxious. And the other one we try and um, explain to people to use is uh, the five things technique. So what five things can you see? What four things can you hear? What three things can you hear, see, touch, feel, and taste? So it goes through the, all of the senses and you, you find do five, four, three, two, one of each. Um, and that way, by the time you've got to that one, so that, you know, what's one thing you can taste, the actual the feeling of the feeling that you had before prior to doing that strategy yeah. um, is kind of not, it's still there, but it's kind of dispersed in a sense that you, you struggle to really, you, because you're concentrating so hard on trying to think of all the things that you can feel and hear and see and taste you've kind of forgotten the initial yeah, yeah. feelings of the original emotion and yeah, yeah. um, so we try and do that and like I said we it's 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 like climbing a mountain um I think with mental health we will get there um we will be there for as many people as we can and we will try our hardest to make sure that people don't slip through the nets and make sure that people understand that we are there um but it is climbing up the mountain because it's also trying to get people to recognise a that they might have mental health or someone that they know might have mental health, and b trying to teach the strategies that we know we've proven. You know, we've we've, we've proven many, many, many times, and not and not, you know with data and so on and, and different studies that these strategies work and that you can implement them at home without having to actually tell anyone. Right, like you know right now I'm going to go and do square breathing <laughs> you don't have to tell anyone so yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a big thing and in regards to kind of men's um, men's mental health as well I mean my um, my other half um, we've been together 10, 10 years now um, and as much as I run a mental health charity if you were to as much and it's really completely supportive don't get me wrong but if you were to ask him you know 10 years ago or, or so what he thought of mental health he would say words like you know man up grow up it's not you know you don't need to cry while you're crying um i think from him watching my work he's slowly kind of under started to understand and be more accepting of of mental health within men but it's a huge thing and actually recently um, and i won't go into it because i know this if this will be broadcasted but i there was someone very close to me that i know um had suffered from anxiety uh, a male yeah. And he generally had no idea what it was, and it took him completely by surprise. So he actually, at the time, thought he was having some form of medical, uh, like a, a heart attack or a, you know, something that he kind of explained it as. And it was only when I spoke to him about it and kind of really got down to the root of it that we we thought the word anxiety was kind of came about. But immediately, I think, and again, it comes it ultimately comes down to the stigma with men especially men of, of particular ages as well I think with a younger male um, population mental health is much more apparent you're, you're more aware of it whereas the older you get the the more kind of into the stigmas you kind of delve so he immediately thought right well you know I you know I have to go to the doctors and I have to go and you know but actually it, it he was he was it was brilliant. It was just, it was strategies that he needed. He needed to recognise the, the triggers and work out where the triggers were and, you know, and go from there. So 
Um, yeah, he's done brilliantly, and I'm I'm so proud of him. Um, but I, I, again, I think it's unfortunately with men. Um, and again, it's it's not all men. Um, I think the more we talk about it, the more we shine a light on it. I mean, I'm very much um, very 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 true believer of you know if you shine a shine a thought into the world and show that show that thought to the world, it's it's seen. Um, if you talk, if we talk about males' mental health more and open it up and make it less of a taboo subject, more, if more and more and more people people keep talking about it, the more normal it will become, and the more men will feel more empowered to go and do what they should be doing and discussing thoughts and those feelings and those emotions. And if they're not able to discuss and uh, explain those emotions, then learning strategies like you know using a worry diary or, or writing something down and yeah, and then the practice of throwing it away so the, re- the thought is then removed um is so much better than letting things kind of fester and turn into something that's not what it started off as i mean one of the things that we also work on is um if you have a if you're in if you're anxious or depressed you might be thinking thought a but then by the end of the evening is actually a b c d e f g because it's actually mutated into so, something so much worse because your brain turns it into something so much worse yeah. so um, i'm sure and i'm sure you have seen it um and i'm, I'm, I'm sure you understand uh, i won't bore bore you guys with um the, the technical terms and everything but there's parts of the brain that wants to protect the whole brain and wants to protect you so in a particular part of the brain um the amdalia it it makes things yeah so it it makes things so much worse so you there's um there's actually there's thinking about there's a really good episode um on netflix called anxiety explained um under it's your your mind explained i think it's called but it's basically it explains that and it, it does it so be, i've been talking about that for years and i saw it on netflix and i was like yes netflix this is so good <laughs> it basically just explains that people cannot remember what they've done throughout the day and that sounds like a really bizarre concept but if i was to say to you what did you do today you would say i had breakfast i went to the coffee shop i had lunch or you know something but you wouldn't be able to tell me at what time you went there or how many steps did you get to do take to go upstairs or how, what um did you use your right foot or your left foot when you left the door like you wouldn't be able to tell me a detailed version of your day your brain can only store relevant information of that day so that's why people say i did this 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 and this almost like an agenda <laughs> um so that's, that's, that's how the brain works. When you're fighting with anxiety or, uh, or something that makes you feel sad, so, you know, a, a, a kind of a, a low thought, then your brain will pull images of certain other things. So your brain might, so if you're really nervous about um, a podcast, for instance, your brain might then start to associate that with another, something else that's happened um, with a podcast that made you feel really nervous in the first instance yeah, yeah. and then you then start reinventing that podcast or the, you know that event in your mind yeah. so your brain is such a clever thing and it trains you trains the rest of your brain to realize that actually if i don't pump this body full of adrenaline and pump it full of 
um, endorphins and everything else, then I know that I, I this body won't be strong enough to run away and I want to run away. So that's why we feel as bad as we do when we have bouts of anxiety and we have panic attacks and when we feel really low because it's a chemical imbalance in our brains. It's not something that we choose to have. But no one decides to choose to, you know, wake up and says, oh, I have, you know, I have an anxiety today or I have depression today. It's, it's something that is a chemical imbalance in the brain, but it doesn't necessarily mean that medication has to be involved. It just means that we just need to be more mindful of our actions and really work out what our brains are trying to say to us. And we do that by using grounding techniques, breathing, and really working through things and talking to people, talking about what's going on in your mind. Um, and then, like I said, and going back to um, males' mental health, I think with men talking about things and like you know, it's, it's that common, especially over here in the UK. It's where, like, you know, if you go to the pub for a drink, not that you would at the moment, but, you know, before the lockdown, if you were, if you go for a, um, go to the pub for a, um, a, a drink, any kind of drink, um, it's very like, you know, how are you? Yeah, fine, let's talk about football. Or let's talk about um, the wives. Or, you know, we, it's, not, it's, not, it's not like a manly thing to do to really talk about emotions. And especially, again, especially in the UK, it's that we have that very polite culture where it's it's round upon to discuss you know how you're feeling in the inside and actually it's so important to talk about what's on the inside and the outside and if you're not feeling the way you feel on the outside then talk about it i mean we recently shared um uh, an article and, and a post actually um on social media the other day about robin williams and um, other celebrities that were so happy on the outside males so happy on the outside but actually they committed suicide not that you know at some point and everyone was stunned everyone was completely stunned because no one actually realized that they were sad yeah. <laughs> when actually everyone's allowed to be sad that's the that's the main thing everyone is allowed at some point in their lives to be sad and it's completely okay to be sad it but it's not okay to be sad in silence that's not okay and that's not what we should be we should be doing yeah I, I, you know, a couple of things there you said about even the robin williams robin williams thing is about really it's about that that's that's almost when they've always mimicked when they've always um when they've always like, held up clowns as the the epitome of of sadness and happiness at the same time Clowns make you laugh, like like Robin Williams. Yeah. I'm, say, I'm not saying clown as in a derogatory term. Someone who makes you laugh, mm. a clown, comedian, mm. or whatever. They mm. quite often the clowns are sad on the inside, but they're doing this thing to make doing this job to make them feel happy or make others happy. And really, there's a, there's a element of sadness to it. Um, yeah. So you and you and you're right. And also, um, when you were talking about the the, the, the fact that mental health, or mental, not mental health, mental illness, because we're all mental health. Every single human is mental health because we're yeah. health and we're mental. The both things are yeah. connected. Yeah. Um, it's just like I said, it's what, it's what, it's what spectrum are you on? What you know? Where where are you? Yeah. Where are you going to be? If we, you know, and when you when you mentioned earlier about the fact that it doesn't mental health, mental illness or health. Mental illness or extreme mental health does not 
um, point its finger. And I kind of connected it with what you're saying, you know, with the lottery where yes, years ago the lottery, um, I don't know if they still do it now, but they used to do um, an advert, you always used to be, it could be you pointing the finger. And I just yeah. thought, I thought it yeah. interesting that where you were connecting when you were talking about, lot, you know, getting help from the lottery yeah. and things like that. Because it doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter if you're wealthy, rich, poor, we're all mental health is, yeah, and so I've spoken to people and they've said that quite often some of the um, unhappiest people are the, are the wealthiest. Some of the richest people are, are thin because what they do is they do things like, and they don't realise that this is, they're actually unhappy. So they, so they throw themselves into the work or, you know, and throw themselves into making so much money. And then what happens is they're afraid to lose it. So that's a form of mental health. You're afraid of losing. And then what happens is you barricade yourself behind a wall or a gate and you have security and you put your money in thing and you and then that plays on that plays on your your health you know and then yeah. with, the, with, the, with this the virus thing with there's all the things to do with mental health as well to do with you know yeah. the virus thing is things like like you said being indoors but also the other side of um, things like domestic violence um that's yeah another, that's another part um, yeah, and I think it's with domestic violence, it's, I think it's always deemed as it's the, the male that does it to the female, but yeah. often it's not It's yeah. not the case. So females are just as capable to do it to males as males are to females, where, you know, it's it's a horrible stigma, um, and unfortunately, or I think, well, I think I know an awful lot of men have had to suffer in silence during the lockdown because they are frightened, A, about talking about it, and B, as not being seen as a man because they they're being you know they're being they're in an abusive situation but by their wife so and I, it's, it's a horrible 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 stigma that we need to make sure that we're we're highlighting to people to say that it is okay and you can talk about it and it's actually opening up about it is completely okay and your feelings are completely valid um it's yeah it's a really good point there really good point so what Let's talk. Let's just um, talk a little bit about you and and what your journey has been to, because clearly the reason why I ask these questions or I ask, you know, a kind of, you know, a person starts talking, and they could be talking about the work. They could be talking about, you know, went cycling yesterday. Or, but what what is it about you that's what is it that's helped you or what is it about you that makes you want to help people? So I'm kind of looking at your journey of your journey of discovery. You know, I've spoken to people who have, who, when they were younger, wanted to help people, but then they've gone into other jobs and then they realise the calling when something's happened. So what what is it about you that's, that brings you to this point where you want to help others? You know, yes, it's a charity, it's a business and what is it about you that wants to help people and why and where you know what is it something that you, where you've come from where have you come from in a sense uh, I have had a very colourful background and I think when you talk to anyone who works professionally within mental health they will always come from a colourful background and when I say colourful I mean very eventful and you know with, with positive and negative experiences yeah. um i actually look back on my life and i don't regret any of it i, I don't there's not a single part of my life that i think oh i would change but other people's ex- like external people might look on the outside of you know look down into my life if it was in a book and say oh gosh what you wouldn't change that and 
I really truly I don't I, I wouldn't um I yeah so I had a very very colorful life uh, I lived on the streets from the age of 14 um that was very hard very very hard and then I was put into a um I'm not really too it was there's so many different names for it um, and in different areas they're called different things but it's it was a halfway house or a bando or a crack house um, yeah I mean I, I never touched any of the drugs ever mm. um, it was just somewhere to rest my head for the um, for the well it would be in the morning because we were all kind of nocturnal and when you live with that kind of when you live on the streets you're awake in the, at the night and in the night and awake uh, no sorry you're awake in the night time and then asleep during the daytime yeah. so yeah so it was um it was very hard and then I didn't get out of that cycle until I was 21 um when I actually uh, well I tried to commit suicide yeah uh so yeah and then I um I didn't have any family around me at all and the only family I lived I had were in London so the my grandparents my saviors um came and <laughs> picked me up and uh, it's completely out of the blue um had no idea it was kind of it was coming and I, I knew that I, I needed help but kind of didn't didn't at that point when you're when you're that far yeah. that far gone into depression you don't think that anyone's there but they were kind of the only family I had and they came and picked me up which was amazing and they drove me 200 miles <laughs> to London um and I'm I tried to start new. You can never start new. I, it was a, it was something that I thought I could do. I thought I could start fresh and start new and you know, new slay. And but I think that once you have depression, you can never really shake it. You still kind of, yeah. you still suffer from bouts of it. So to this day, I'm, I, I, I definitely do not suffer from depression, but I do suffer from anxiety, and I manage it by using obviously some of the techniques that I teach others now. Um, but it got to a point when I was about 21, yeah, 21, 22, and I just moved. And I thought, all that, you know, all those people that had tried to help me, and um, all those people, there wasn't that many, but the, the very few people that did try and help me who were professionals who worked in the house that I mentioned um, previously, um, they, I wanted to be like them. I kind of, I looked up to them and I thought, you know, if I can, I, what? the mantra in my head kind of began that I wanted to give back to the community what I took um so but I had no qualifications no degrees I had no but I didn't have a penny I didn't have anything so I kind of I literally started from basics and uh, went for many many job applications in nurseries because I knew I wanted to work with children and young people so and I knew at the time that if I worked with nurseries then I could have a qualification they would pay for its law over here if you work in childcare you have to have relevant qualifications so applied for that and then was able to do my GCSEs <laughs> at the age of 22 which is uh, awful um, but yes yeah, so I did that again and I also then did obviously my relevant qualifications in um, childcare and then from there um, I was lucky enough to uh, be sponsored for a teaching degree um, very 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 lucky still don't really know why they picked me but they did um, it was me and one other and so I managed to do that so I completed did my NQC year um, and uh, qualified uh, as a, um, uh, a teacher working with PSHE so I was working with um, students in a secondary mainstream school teaching um, 
you know, sex education and relationships and drugs and so on and so on. But I, I still knew that I, it was only kind of like part of my journey. I knew where I wanted to go and I was only kind of quarter way there. So that was when I then, so once I secured that um, qualifications, I then went and looked for alternative provisions. So um, in the UK, we call them education support centres. I know, or I know I've, worked in them. I've worked in them in the UK. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I went and worked there as um, a teacher, and then I then became the because I had a, uh, an interest in SEN. And um, I then uh, became the ASD lead, so the autism lead there, and worked with families and everything else. So from there, <laughs> um, I also worked with Youth Connections, which is the UK's kind of um, youth youth worker system that across the many counties across the UK they work with. Um, so I worked with them um, as a secondary role on top of my teaching role. Uh, and then I was then put into an outreach um, an outreach position where I looked after schools across Hertfordshire. So it's kind of north, uh, northeast of London, I think. Yeah. So I, I would look after, um, look after schools across Hertfordshire. And I would also be able to go into various different schools and I would be able to go and speak to the students and the teachers and then the, the consequent parents and work together on mental health to make sure that the strategies were in place. And it, it got to the point where I was I was so happy. I was very, very happy in, in my role. But I still I still I still wasn't there. I still from when I was twenty one, twenty two, um, I still wanted to give back to the community what I took. That was still the mantra in my head. Um, so I took the massive leap, huge leap, scary leap, very, very scary leap to create HSO. Um, and it was the best thing I could have done. It's, it, it enabled me to, the people that, when I say, I said earlier that I had people who were in, you know, people in crisis aren't, aren't been able to see, aren't able to see certain services. I'd be talking to someone who was in crisis, it, you know, at my previous place before before I started founded the company and have to walk away after six weeks knowing that they were in crisis and I couldn't do anything more so with that in mind obviously I created HSO to be that that cornerstone to make sure that actually that person is still relevant that person still needs help and yeah so and to say that I put my blood sweat and tears and soul into HSO would be an understatement (laughs) um so I put every, all of my being into it because it's it's become the mantra for me is has become the company, um, and I'm so proud of it, and I'm so proud of my staff, and I'm very humbled um, that we were able to go and provide such an essential service to so many different people. Um, so I sometimes feel with my own anxiety, um, you know, some, I also suffer from um, sometimes I get bouts of imposter syndrome, which is something. Um, that an awful lot of people have, but they don't actually recognise what it is. It's you wake up in the morning and you feel not good enough, or you feel um, yeah. in what you're doing is not right, or you feel like it's. And sometimes I wake up in the morning and think, ah, oh, I can't do this, and what I'm doing is all wrong. And then it's my staff that, you know, go, yeah, come on, we can do this, or you know, we, this this child has happened, this this has, this has happened. So it's all worked kind of. It, we all work collectively, holistically, together, and that is reflected in the services and the support that we deliver so yeah that's a little bit about me that's that's, you know i'm gonna you know 
you know, I don't know how much time you've got, but I just wanted to go back and just because there's something I want to come to at the end when we when we when I say yeah. this question is when you what was the reason were you when you was on the streets at 14? What actually happened to you? Because you said you said, but then you went on to say you tried to take your life at 21. Now, yeah, you didn't try. Did you try to take your life before that? No, so this is what I'm no. trying to say. This is what I'm going to. When you answer this question, I'm going to. I'm, I'm, I'm going to know where I'm going with this. So what? Okay. What actually happened for you to, you know, end up on the streets? Um, I wasn't. I was no longer allowed to live with my uh, with my guardians at the time. So, oh no, let's say guardians. It was my. It was my mum and um and her partner. I wasn't allowed to live there anymore. So. Uh, I was told to leave at 14, which I did. Um, and I, I, at 14, I think I, I remember thinking, I've got this. I can do it. It's not, you know, it's not a problem. I can. It's, it's bottling the. It was bottling the emotions down. It was not recognizing that I had mental health or PTSD because of what had happened, um, and not dealing with it, and then suppressing it for seven years. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and what was that like for you? Yeah. What was that like for you being on, on? I know it's a it's a question that people would ask, but for you at that age, mm. it's just a, what I'm trying to get is that one of the things I'm trying to get at is is for the listeners to kind of understand. Um, one, if they have a child, you know, would you do mm. that? And if you did, what you know, some of the things that the child could go through at that age. Um, because you're not, you're not, you're never, you're not an adult at fourteen. So, what no. sorts, what sort of things do you do to to help you cope and survive, basically? Um. So with, I think what I needed back then was someone to listen and to give me a time of day and to realise that my feelings were valid. So if I was saying, you know, I'm tired, or <laughs> which I think all fourteen-year-olds are. Um, or you know, I, I can't handle things. Or and, and also, I think there's there was a, a a massive element personally for me that what I was saying was either not heard or it was mistrusted. Um, and there was no reason for it to be mistrusted. It was just kind of assumed that as a teenager, you kind of you make a problem and you make you make up things and things like that. And it was not the case at all. But again, it comes down to a stigma where people just assume that teenagers make big things out of things and it's dramatic and you know so on and so on and unfortunately in my case it, it really wasn't I wish that I was I was I'd been making things up <laughs> would have been so much easier but if someone had actually listened to me and listened to the words I was trying to say I wouldn't I probably wouldn't have been on the streets and social services did try and get involved at one point because obviously of, of my age um but I was too frightened to speak to them because I was alone. So I remember being in a car when I was like 15 with a social worker. So it was, you know, it was deemed yeah. safe. Um, but I remember I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I was so loyal to my parents. That I didn't, I didn't want them to get into trouble. So I, I, I hid a lot of things. So I would say all the right things, or all the truthful things, to, and it, which would kind of put alarm bells for everyone else. But when it came down to it, because I only had adults asking me, big scary questions I would hide the truth not lie but I would 
hide the truth, as in kind of blitz around the conversation, the, the questions, to protect the people that weren't protecting me. Um, so yeah, and I kind of skipped, skipped around social services and got away with not kind of being put into foster care and stuff because I, I was I was too loyal. I was I was I didn't I didn't want my parents to to have any kind of ramifications when actually in retrospect and looking back on it now they should have done they definitely should have done and I should have been protected but it wasn't the system that let me down it was my mental health that let me down and it was uh, I suppose it was someone someone been able to speak not for me but speak with me to be able to hold my hand and go you know what you don't have to say it I can say it for you if you want to so yeah, that's that's kind of yeah. And like, like I said, and the only reason it took me a longer time, I suppose, to uh, to think about um, ending things was because it got to the point where it just all became too much, yeah. and it just got to the point where I was I was done with it. I, there wasn't any more that I could do or any more that I could give, and no one cared. <laughs> they did care. Um, I have a, I have a lovely family and. And, and also my grandparents love me and actually now I actually have my own lovely family um, obviously I have, I have uh, my partner and my little girl and yeah, yeah. I feel very 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 blessed and very very lucky but um, at that time there was no one around me within 200 miles and you know I wasn't allowed to see people and the people that should have protected me all thought that I was a horrible evil person so I just thought you know what if people think that of me then I'm, I might as well go yeah. So I did. Well, I tried to. Yeah. So, so, but luckily, that didn't happen. Yeah. So, and the reason why I was asking that is because when you said it the first time, I thought, so that means there was some sort of inner strength because to go to be thrown to you can say thrown out because it, it happens happens a lot. It happens a lot. Young um, teenagers, boys, girls. They're thrown out of the house, or they have massive argument, and they've been told to go, or and and they, and, you, and you're thinking as a, as a you know as a parent, or why would you, why would you do that? But obviously, parents have the reasons, and sometimes it could be anger, could be to I don't know what it may be, teach you a lesson, or whatever it is, they could, yeah. whatever it is they're going to do, whatever it, that that reason is behind it. So I'm just I'm just thinking, wait, it's taken it that long. So that means there must have been some sort of inner strength. And what I'm going, where I'm going with that is, is that that, and you may not have looked at it like this, is that that inner strength mm. is the thing that's helped you to get through the rest of, you know, I don't know how old you are now. I'm very stubborn. Yeah. Very, very, very stubborn. If I get a thought in my head, I have to do it immediately, which is um, why what makes Hager so, so, so successful, because I, I, do, I do things there and then. I accept things are very, you know, very, you know, when when we first connected, um, when we first talked about the podcast, I was like, yes, yes, definitely, fine, like brilliant, um, and that's just because I I go with I go with my gut and I go with my my head and my heart. I don't, you know, I don't don't hang about, um, which is a good thing. It's a it's a blessing and a curse. Um, yeah, and but yeah, I, I am very stubborn. I was going to ask you, yeah, and stubborn and people, and again, never knock that word because. People associate words like that. They're always as a negative. As a negative, and it's and really stubborn. Being stubborn in a lot of instances is is a good yes. thing. 
You know, we often、yes. go, oh, I'm very stubborn, and people, oh, oh you know, and <laughs> you think, but when you turn it on its head, the word stubborn can mean、oh. that, you know, I can get this thing done, or、um, I'm not letting you、oh. touch me, or I'm not letting you say that to me, or I'm not, and which is a positive. I'm, I agree. You know, and I'm, I'm stubborn in the fact that I can, you know, sit there, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, do a podcast, you know,、oh. that's stubbornness. You know, people might say, well, You know, whatever, there might be another word for it, but that's stubbornness. So, I think what I'm, you know, with with all that, and you, you know, you, you know, you you're out on the streets, and you know, it was there's a, there's an inner strength in you. There's a strength there, and it's come from、um, one, you know, you know, the fact that you you were out on the streets, and then it took you a while before you thought of or you you were going to do it, and then you didn't.、Mm. Um, or if you attempted it, something stopped you, and so you and you're here to t- and you're here to t- tell the tale. So it's very important that you,、yeah. it's very important that you acknowledge that.、Um, you know, I'm not saying、yeah, some sort、you. of psychologist、yeah. or something, but you know, to, on a on the whole grand scheme of things, when you're here doing this, you know, you know, HSO and and helping people, this where that's come from is is that it could be come from that part of your period in your life where you where you look back and think, you know what. You know,、yeah. I'm here. I'm success. You know, I'm here. Yeah. Look, success. My success might not be money. My success might be the fact that I am actually living. You know what I mean? And、yeah. I could have taken my life. Some people have. You know, the amount of people that have taken their work life, and particularly now, you know, I'm going to go into this thing to do with, you know, the, the, you know, I don't want to keep you for too long, but this thing to do with <laughs> the. Lock, you know what you know. I don't call it lockdown. You know, locking or I don't know what you want to call it, but I don't use those words because I think they bring a massive negative connotation. Because I always I said it from the beginning that it was wrong for people to for them to do that, and it's wrong for them to call it that because and also to call it、um, social distancing when when it should have been calling it should have, for people with mental health the words. We've got to remember that words are very powerful, and if you've got mental、yeah. mental illness or something where you know you're, like say you've got, let's say you've got anxiety, then for instance, and、mm. or something where somebody said something and you take that for, you take that word for what it is, you take that thing for what it is. Yeah, you've got to go on lockdown. So what are some people going to do? They're going to go and lock themselves in the house, and they're not going to get, they're not going to move, or they'd only move for food. Because they're, they're looking through the curtain,、yeah. because think some some virus is passing <laughs> passing the window. You、yeah. don't know.、Yeah. So, I, I think where I'm going with this is is words are very powerful. So to use words like lockdown and all that sort of stuff, it brings it can bring for some people negative、yeah. connotations. And also, my feeling I'm going to ask you this as well. Do you feel that the the government or the governments or you know you're in England, so you look at your government、yeah. or look at the government that I. I'm going to be coming back to whatever you want to say. Do you feel that they? Because I feel that the biggest fallout of this, forget the virus thing, you know, the, the fabricated stories and all that sort of stuff. But the biggest, for me, for me, is mental health. How people、yeah. are going to come out of this, and they're going to they're going to be coming out with some, very, you know, the government is going to have to throw some money. Out there to compete for, for organisations because I'm telling you now people are going to be struggling and they are struggling with、um, mental health and they're going to be struggling far more worse than 
anything that we thought about, you know, with the virus, or there's going to be people taking drugs yeah. and, you know, alcohol abuse and, you know, all the other things. So what you're doing there is a granting. Do you think that the government should be doing, should throw the money into mental health now? I think they have already. I mean, as much as I said previously that um, services are struggling, and they're kind of ripping at the seams to kind of with, with services. The amount, I think, it's a different one. I think they are doing, they're doing, they're, they've ploughed an awful lot of money into mental health. Um, for instance, you know, funding funding various different projects with various different companies such as HSO to go and deliver crucial support to, to children um, across the UK, for one. Um, and then, you know, for adults in regards to kind of camp services, they, they're, they're always rolling out new initiatives and um, new programs. But as mental health becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, it's keeping up with that demand. So, yes, they are. I think they're doing what they should be doing. But the, the, the ratio between demand and funding, I suppose, is never going to be level because your people are always going to have more mental health uh, difficulties um, and issues, then funding is relatively available. So, yes, I feel that they are doing enough in regards to what they're offering. But once they've offered it, we need that much more again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's um, about, it's so I, I think, yeah, I think they've, yeah, it, it's, it's very difficult and I don't envy their, their jobs. <laughs> that I, yeah, I, I definitely don't envy them because. It must be impossible to a try and guess how many people need support, and then try and put that into a financial sense, and b trying to make sure that there's enough people out there that they can, you know, they've got to go and help those people, um, and you know, choosing which ones to fund and which ones not to fund, and so on and so on. So it's it's I don't envy them at all, but the, I think just speaking of the UK government, um, I think there's a lot of things that they might be not so good at, but. In regards to mental health, I think they're doing the best that they are able to do in the current circumstance, in the, well, the current situation. Yeah, yeah. And for you, what what have been your, you know, you've, you've, you've in between fourteen and twenty-one, what 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 were your coping strategies? What were your between that age? What was your coping strategies? Being on the street, what is you, what did you do to cope in in that time? Ignore it. I ignored it, which is really bad, and I don't want anyone to do that, obviously. But at 14, 15, 16, I wouldn't. It got. I've been kicked out of home. I wasn't in education. I thought, you know, I'm not gonna. I don't want to speak. I, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna listen to anyone. No one can tell me then what to do. I've, I've kind of gone past that now. Yeah, yeah. If I can't live at home. No one's gonna listen to me. Then I'll do what I want. Um, and and tattoos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got tattoos, but. In all honesty, looking back now, and if I could speak to my younger self, again, as I said earlier, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change anything. Um, But what I would, and which is why I'm doing what I'm doing, what I would like people to know is that actually extending, going out there and going help or, um, you know, like someone saying, are you okay? Rather than just kind of thinking that I'm okay. It goes back to kind of, being on you know happy within yourself and the outside but really sad on the inside if, if someone actually taking the time to sit with me and um 
have a cup of tea with me and, and just talk, then yeah. it might have been um, a little bit easier. Yeah. The main thing um, is talking. But yes, a, a very nice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so the reason why I ask that as well is because now, if you're going through something, I know you've got your partner there and your child, and probably, and obviously they're going to be something that you that helps you. What are your what are your coping strategies now if something goes, you know, something you know on a bad day or you know you've got friends? But what things? Do you, what things? I mean, the reason why I ask this is because I know that in the, in, the, in the podcast, I mean, yeah, people, everyone's got but, something that helps them cope. Yeah. You know, a drummer, so you know, someone, I, someone in a band who's going through a mental health crisis, he's going to yeah. go in a room and start banging the drums yeah. to help him cope. What is yours? Yeah, no. So I, I'm a, a firm believer of. Um, you know, you, you you teach what you like. What teacher you free? So I, um, what I teach, I also do. So there's nothing that I I say on any of our platforms or social media posts or um, or indeed in, in our actual sessions that I don't do myself. Um, and nothing that as well as it isn't backed up scientifically as well. So what I I always start my day with writing. I have to write everything down. So and not in like a, a OCD kind of. Um, Format, but I write everything down so that I know exactly where I am. I don't have to worry about A to B. Like I just know that A is A and B is B. Um, so I write everything down, and um, if anything is kind of like if I get a bit of a curveball in between that day, I deal with it as and when, and then I make sure I take a you know a breather and a cup of tea and or a, or a coffee and um and take take a moment to myself. So if that involves, I, I have. Um, most beautiful three-year-old uh, little girl so if if need be maybe it's like a, a nice little cuddle on the sofa with with her and you know watching watching something nice on tv or, or, or you just playing a game or going to the pub or something taking that time for me for me um yeah so that's that's what i do now um and i'm very appreciative of things i'm very mindful of that as well so if i ever feel times of you know i you know as i said to you you know sometimes you that imposter syndrome i rigorously go through in my mind what i am thankful for and i'm so thankful for i can't i wouldn't even be able to tell you how many things i'm i'm very i'm a very very i feel very humbled with my life as it is and i feel very thankful for my life as it is um yeah, yeah. yeah so that's what i do. yeah you could actually your story I mean you could actually write a book I mean you're journaling now but you could end up turning <laughs> the book as well um how's, how's I thought about it I'm not gonna lie yeah you could um how's and I mean even if you talk about that period in your life where you know that that's you know that time you could do you could do anything it'd make a good read because you know you never know people it could, someone could read and it could save their life um so how does your you know how's your you know you've you've been with your partner you've got you've got a you know, you've got a child. How does your partner cope? When you say cope, is it the word cope? You know, you know, you know. If you're, how does he cope with me? Yeah, yeah. Just so you know, I, uh... you, you, obviously, you would have. He's going to go. No, I know things. what you mean. He would have gone through his things, and you go through his things. How, as a as a partner and someone who's loving or or not or whatever, how does he cope? I've been very. I, I've been very open to him with him from the beginning. Yeah. Um, in regards to my colourful background um, and he's very accepting of that you know it's, it's very accepting that he doesn't have parent-in-laws which is a, is an interesting concept I think for, for males um, yeah it's, it's he's been brilliant I, I, he's, he's my rock 
he's everything. He's my best friend. But what way he he also, he instinctively knows now. Um, I obviously have different signs, or you know, I like for instance today I've been super, super, super busy. Um, but he will he'll come home and he'll kind of see <laughs> see that I'm, I'm uh, you know I'm, I'm normally busy. I'm really, really busy, and I'm kind of you know ferociously kind of writing things down um, and busy with work. Then he kind of knows that. I'm feeling a little bit anxious, so he just comes over and just gives me a really big hug, like a because he knows like a wasted hug, like a something like a pressure on you, someone that who is anxious, calms them. Yeah. So it's not just a hug; it's that physical contact with something like you know, very much like a weighted blanket, I suppose, having that that weight on you. Um, and you know, and kind of he's, he's brilliant. He's he's very very good. And my family, the family that I do have, um, are also very very kind. Um, when it comes to that as well and you know they're, they're very like if I, if I need to go and rest then go just read a book you know to, to get my head out of the situation I'm in because my anxiety is through the roof because um, whatever you know social situation then um, they you know they're very they're very they're, you know they're lovely they're, they're you know they're, they'll go and say go and read that book and you know don't worry about things I'll do the washing up and, you know stuff like that so yeah. and yeah. yeah again very 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 thankful everything but that's the that's what they do to support me which I'm forever thankful for. Yeah. And, and again you know I ask that because you know some, I'm not asking I'm not I wasn't saying you know I'm you know, saying <laughs> oh, you, you, you're you're Jekyll and Hyde I'm saying for a man you know being a man myself you know and somebody who's got anxiety your partner's got anxiety mm. or you know, how how yeah yeah, he said he's he's obviously embraced it and, and understands now he's yeah. now he does that thing where he hugs you. Do you see what I mean? And I think the yeah. reason why I ask these questions is because and to, just to get your feel, you know, your side of it. And so somebody else out there who's listening, who listens to this, can think, oh, you know, maybe I could do yeah. a hug, or maybe I could do yeah. that strategy as someone who's sort of, so it's, it's it's and it's fantastic. And you you know you've managed to turn your life around and you know you're here to tell the story you may write a book <laughs> you may write a book and and now you've got you know things up and running with business you're employing people um and 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 you're doing you know you're doing well you know how how are things you know to kind of wrap things up how are things um now in the uk with the you know opening up and things like that how are things there marketing with a lot of companies like so, so things that kind of advertise on television like um there was uh, there was recently uh it was a football i'm not going to pretend like i know all the players but um there was a lot of famous football players who kind of all met and discussed mental health and what mental health meant to them oh, yeah. and i know that was what by countless people um and i also know that there's an awful lot of uh, like for instance the the morning talk shows mental health has been spoken about quite a lot in those because people have been at home and you know how are, are there to watch it in the morning you know with, with, whilst they're working and so on and so on so I think it's I think it is getting better I think it could always be better always um and I think the more people talk the more people open up and the more people aren't scared to talk about their experiences and talk about their own feelings and the way it affects them and, and have that personal sense rather than just talking about mental health robotically 
um, almost like yes, we understand what mental health is, and we do this and this, and that's that. If they, if everyone kind of shares, and not not kind of delving too much, kind of in, in a private sense, but you know, if someone just, if someone people just recognise that it's okay to talk about mental health, and if you need to share something to maybe allow that person to discuss something that's important to them, then you choose it wisely. Um, remember that if you're talking to that person, you're you are there for them as well. Um, but yeah, just have the courage. I think it's, that's the bottom line. It's having courage to talk about it and accept that actually, if they didn't think that it was okay, then maybe they should re the other people, the other person, should maybe reevaluate what they they feel about mental health. Um, yeah, I think everyone's got it within them to 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 do something about mental health and it's our responsibilities to look after our our mental health is just as important as our physical health if not more yeah so yeah i think it's 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 our responsibility to well, not i think it is our responsibility to look after it and the more and more people talk about it and have the courage to discuss it the better yeah i was gonna i was i think i'll probably leave it there because i was gonna ask you what were the what would be i always ask the guests this what you know what would be your one thing you'd say to people out there but i think you've kind of summed it up now and you know, if anyone's out there listening, people are going to be listening to. You know, where can they find you? Where can you know? Where can they find you? <laughs> I, don't mean... I just suddenly realised you can hear my um my my lovely spring spaniel in the background. Oh, don't worry <laughs> about it. Drink, I'm sorry. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> so, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, no, you that. can. So you can find us on. Pardon. I prefer, to be honest with you, I prefer things like that to be genuine and people in the background. And <laughs> And, you know, I've had, I've had people on the podcast and they're, they're sitting there eating and washing up. And so, so that to me is... Oh, no, he's, he's been so good, bless him. And he's just, um, he's just come and say hello. And his, uh, his water bowl is very close to where I am. Um, no, so you can find us on uh, the So Hearts Cause Outreach. Um, so various different social media platforms. So we're on LinkedIn, Instagram, social media, um, and Pinterest. Um, and our website is www.heartschoolsoutreach.org.uk um, or alternatively if you're just need someone to speak to or someone to talk through anything we are always always here for you so you can either call us on um, 0333 or you can email us at admin at heartschoolsoutreach.org.uk and just know that we are there and all of us have we're all ready to talk and we're all ready to listen more importantly we're, we're ready to listen to you yeah thanks for thanks for coming on and you know like i say if you i'll say to you if you if you think there's anything you've missed and you want to come back on again i mean i'd like to you know to definitely you know like you to have, have you come on and speak again and talk about maybe more in depth of what oh, you definitely. do definitely like so. invite me invite me anytime actually it might also um Next time, um, maybe I'll invite one of my uh, consultants in. And maybe um, she can have a, a talk and she can talk about her experiences as well. Yeah, that'd so, be fantastic. That might be cool. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Just so let thank, me know. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you very much for having me. And that was Men Are Nuts. Speak to you soon.